Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Eliminate Student Ministries. Listen as Pastor Paul speaks on the first week of his table series. All right, so tonight we're going to start a new series called Tables. Tables. What? Oh, called Taylor. Oh my gosh. No. Uh, no, talking about tables, um, and you guys may have seen this tweet. How many of you guys are on Twitter? Yeah, me either. <laughs> but I see like the snapshots of tweets on Facebook because I'm an old fart and I guess I'm on Facebook and how many of you guys are on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. Like what in the world? How many of you guys are on Instagram? <laughs> oh, yo, uh, is, um, is Snapchat still a thing? How many of you guys are on TikTok? What, what's the other thing? Is there any other thing? But yeah, that's not like a, hey, we're friends, is it? Yeah. All right, anyways. Well, all that to say, I saw this post, and maybe you guys saw this, and I didn't, obviously I didn't write this, but it sparked something in me where it said, Jesus spent more time eating at tables, sitting at tables, than he did flipping them. Mm, yeah, mic drop. Just kidding. It's expensive. Um, so Jesus spent more time sitting at tables than he did flipping them. Uh, and this kind of just sparked something in me because even like what we were talking about last week, remember about like you feel like you've arrived someplace and you're trying to keep people from going someplace. Like really angry Christians always talk about like the flipping of tables and they always use it out of context too. Um, and they're like, you have food in here. Jesus would flip these tables. I'm just like, that is not right. Uh, but anyways, we're not going to talk about uh, that part of scripture where Jesus flips tables because we're going to be talking about the instances where he's sitting at tables for the next four weeks. And so we're going to look at four different tables and kind of deconstruct them, see what's happening uh, and how it pertains to our lives. All right, you ready? Cool. So we're going to go to Luke 36, or Luke 7, golly, Luke 7, verse 36, uh, and we'll go all the way through 50. We're just going to read it all the way, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into it. All right, cool. Uh, now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Say, at the table. And there was a woman, and I love the delay sometimes it's like say it at the table yeah and there's always at the table anyways how in the world are you a drummer that's what i want to know <laughs> like like you're on beat and then everyone's like at the table <laughs> hey amen i love it all right so say at the table And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, he br she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, is this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. 
uh, not only just a sinner, she's like a harlot and a prostitute. Just throwing that out there. Uh, a prostitute, someone who does uh, illicit things. Um, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. I love it. You know, uh, I always like reading in between the lines of what's happening here of where he's like talking to his friend. He's like, if he would have known that he's that she's like a harlot, like what in the world? And he's like, I've got something to tell you. He's like, oh, yes, say it, teacher. Like just gets all prim and proper. And like, you know, your booty hole puckers just a little bit because like you get called out in class because you're like on your phone and you're like, Aaron, you know, I feel like that's what that is. Um, hey, Aaron, no, we're, no. And Jesus answered him saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which one will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your home. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but, she, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have made you forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who he even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. A lot going on here. We're going to get into it. All right. So <clears throat> I want to look at the position of two people in this story. One, Simon the Pharisee. Uh, and two, the woman. Uh, there's some debate on if this woman is Mary Magdalene, Magdalene, whatever or not. It doesn't specifically say. Um, so I'm not going to just infer that that's who it is. So let's just call her uh, Linda. Linda. I wrote Sarah to go with Simon, but I like Linda. Okay. Are we good with Linda? Linda, the illicit woman. All right. All right, so let's look at uh, verse 36 through 39 real quick. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table, he being Jesus, in the Pharisee's house, he brought, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair on her head and kissing his feet. Okay. Um, this is what I love. Most of the time when Jesus encounters Pharisees and Sadducees, these are these religious zealots, these religious leaders of the time. And the only most, this is why I'm saying most of the time, apart from like Nicodemus, who is a banger, he's amazing. Uh, most of the time, these Pharisees and Sadducees are looking to entrap Jesus and ensnare him into this um, political and like religious debate so that they can argue the tenets of the law and say like, well, you say we shouldn't uh, heal on the Sabbath, but blah, blah, like all this, stuff. like you look through the entire gospels, Jesus is just coming back and forth with these Pharisees and Sadducees. So that's the point of this dinner. I feel like this one mustache hair keeps going up and 
Do you want to yeet it? All right. Do you see it? Nope. Okay. Well, then don't touch anything. <laughs> Sorry. If you if you don't if you don't see it. No. Well, not if you don't see it. Sometimes she'll just like she'll do this, and then just push while we're driving. Oh my gosh, it's worse than a nose hair. Like nose hair, it's like huh, but this is like huh. So. Yeah, so women, when you get married, and if your husband has a mustache, don't yeet the stash. It hurts like the dickens, all right? That's the last time I'm going to say yeet today. Just like, yeah, I mean, you can ask for permission, but I was like, hey, is this sticking up in my nose? She's like, I don't know, let me push. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So anyways, if you see me doing this, it's not a nervous tick. I just feel like something's tickling my nose. Um, anyways, so... A lot of times these Pharisees and Sadducees will just try and get in a, a debate with Jesus. And so that's kind of the intention of this dinner. And so Jesus, being fully aware that this person is at inviting him to his place of habitation, his house, uh, not just to share like kimchi together. It's, hey, let's talk. I don't know. I've been watching this dude cook like uh, Asian inspired food and like half the meal is like kimchi. So just kimchi's on the mind. <laughs> So anyways, so Jesus understands that this is the reason why he's going to the dinner, and he still goes. That's what I love about it, is that he full well knows that this person is trying to entrap him and to, like, catch him up and to try and, like, back him into a corner. And Jesus still is like, all right, let's go to dinner. Like, if anything, amen, four on the floor. Um, if anything, I just think that speaks to the confidence of Jesus, you know, like he knows who he is and he knows what he's about. He ain't about to tussle around with some of my own Pharisees, Sadducees. All right, you know what I'm saying? All right. Yee, yee. All right. But here, here's what I love is that literally it says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him and enter the house. Great. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And so immediately it talks, it sets up this stage where he's at dinner with this person and immediately this person comes in who's a harlot and she starts weeping at his feet, wiping his, her tears with her hair on the feet, getting off all the muck, all the crap. Um, and the response of this religious leader, uh, well, let's just kind of back up. When you see someone giving their like all in worship and they're just like going for it, it will elicit two responses out of you. One, it will call you to do the same because you'll be stirred and moved by their devotion, which causes you to respond accordingly. Um, just the, the first thing that comes to my mind is even a couple months ago, uh, Taylor Aliff, like, like we were just in the middle of worship and then she just like gets out and like comes here and just like, hey, I just, this is where I need to break the alabaster jar, so to speak, and we'll get to that. And then from there on out, just pockets all over the room just start like breaking out because people started responding to one woman's devotion for Yeshua. And so that's one of the, that's the first thing that can happen when you see someone pouring out their entirety onto the feet of Jesus. The second one is you double down in your pride and you think that they should get off the floor because they're making a fool of themselves and they don't deserve to even be there. And that was the position of this Pharisee. 
he just, he doubled down. He said, I can't believe it. This woman is a harlot. She's a prostitute. She shouldn't even be here. Like, what is happening? And then he starts mocking Jesus and said, if he's even a prophet, he should know what kind of woman she is and that she wouldn't, and then he wouldn't let her touch him. So it even just speaks to the nature of how a religious zealot would encounter someone who didn't like cross all the T's and dot all the I's, uh, which we'll get to that in a little bit, okay? Um, If you're writing something down, here's what I would write down. Here's a little nugget for you. You ready? All right. The prideful position of our hearts puts, puts us at war with the heart of the Father. The prideful position of our heart puts us not just like, oh, he doesn't like it. It puts us at war with the heart of the Father. So uh, James 4, 5. Say James. James. Louder. James. Louder. James. James 4, 5. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're a prideful, arrogant fella, this makes you squirm a little bit. <laughs> but if you walk in humility, this is like, all right, I can get on board with this. I like it. All right, let's be humble. Nope. Okay. Uh, I just, yep, I already shut it down. You see that back there? Um, this is what I love. In verse 43, this is where it gets really sassy. So after Jesus talks about the two debtors, right? One owed, what is it, 500 and the other 50? Yeah, 500 denarii and the other 50. And he said, uh, but neither, neither of them were able to repay, but he graciously forgave both. Which one do you think would love more? And the response is, well, I suppose the, the person who he forgave more. And even now, like, even just like that, I suppose, is even just like so arrogant. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he feels like he's like kind of backtracking here. He's like, oh, crap. Like, I've just opened up a can of worms. You smell what I'm stepping in? Yes. Yeah, and he's like, well, I, I suppose, I, I, like, I guess, instead of just definitively, well, obviously, it's the one who he forgave more. But he's like, uh, I, I, I guess this is the one, which I think is any funny. Um, oh, we're going to skip that. So this is the position of the Pharisee. Um, arrogance, pride, and it causes us to double down in our arrogance and pride when we see someone who is just laying their all onto the feet of Jesus. Even, so he's invited this person to, to dinner, to come and eat at his house, and not for the sake of communion, but for the sake of trying to trap him in. So then when something like crazy breaks out, he's like, wait, what's happening? Like, let's just try and control the situation. But, so you don't wanna be a Pharisee, no? No, all right, let's talk, who do we say, Linda? Linda. Linda, the woman. All right. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, so in verse 37, this is right after verse 36. Go figure. That's where we started. So uh, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Very next line. And there was a woman in the city whom was a sinner, who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought her alabaster vial. All right. Immediately, she learned that Jesus was in the house, and she went there immediately. This is what I think is so cool. This wasn't like a, a thought that was, um, she kind of went through the, the, not the motions, but like 
thought about it. Well, maybe I should go. I don't know. Like, because she gets there and they're still having dinner. So it's pretty quick. If she thought about it and kind of like twiddled her thumbs, like, should I go? Should I go? Should I not? She may have caught him coming out of the house, but she caught him in the house reclining at the table. So this is a, like an immediate response. So she learned that Jesus is in the house and immediately she goes to the house. So let's just paint the picture. All right. So this lady is a prostitute. Okay. She's a harlot. She gets paid uh, to have sex with other men. Like that's, that's her job. And she's known around these parts as a prostitute. That's what she is. And so if you think about that in context, here's a prostitute who is uninvited and is just making her way into a random person's house. Not a random person, but a religious leader's house. So there's people around like in context and they're like, wait, why is Linda going in there? Like, so people start to assume some things. You know what I'm saying? You smell what I'm stepping in? No? Should I break it down even more? If you need me to break it down even more, give me a clap. Okay. So there could be some assumption that Linda is going in there to lay with the Pharisee and to have relations with the Pharisee because she's not invited. This isn't her house and people know who she is. She has a reputation of being a harlot. And so there's an implication of what's happening. Here's what I love. She doesn't Decent. She decent. That's what happens when you mix, mix didn't and doesn't. She decent. She doesn't care. Uh, and here's what I love about Jesus. He didn't care either. So this lady wasn't already at the house, which means that she found out that Jesus was having dinner at Simon's house, went to her place first, got the most expensive jar of perfume that she owns, made the trek over to his house, uh, uninvited, and she just walks into the house. All the way she's thinking, I wonder if this is it. Like, could this really be him? Like the one that we've talked about for decades, for centuries, could this really be Jesus, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world? Could, could this really be him? Can you just like see her just kind of processing in her head? Because if, if this isn't him, she's like screwed because she's making her way into a religious leader's house who has the ability to just shame her from the rest of the community because she just came into his house unannounced as a harlot. And so she's, I mean, it's not just like, oh, I'm gonna wet your tears. It's like, this is it. Like, this is the go or no go. Like, this is either gonna be the finality of my life in this area, or like, I'm gonna meet him and he's gonna be who we've asked and prayed for and thought he could be, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so she walks in and falls down weeping because her heart is finally in the presence of Yeshua. Um, this is what's wild. I just, I just want us to get in context of what's happening, because sometimes we can just read this and be like, oh, that's cute. So this woman is now weeping so much that her tears are soaking his feet, and she dries his feet with her hair. So let's talk about this. When We've talked about this before, but, oh, and you can just throw up that graphic. Uh, I'll, I'll reference back scripture, but we don't have to leave that up there. Um, most of the time, all the time, when people would come into people's houses, they would wash their feet. They would give them an opportunity to wash their feet because they've been walking on the road, either barefoot or in sandals, on the same roads where dirt and animal feces were at. So this Jesus is walking in, and he's got crap literally all over his feet. 
And this Pharisee didn't offer him anything to clean up with. He's just sitting there. And so this woman is crying so much that her tears are becoming like rivers and it's literally washing this away. Like that, that's how much she's crying. It's not just like, oh my gosh, it's this uncontrollable, I don't know what to do in your presence except just weep. I mean, and I think some of us have been there before where it's just like, I don't even know what's happening, but he's here and I'm like done. Like this is what she's experiencing. And so um, her tears are soaking his feet so much. And then she dries his feet with her hair and she kisses his feet and anoints him with his oil. This is a side note. This is a, if you think about this woman's profession, what she's been doing, she paints her eyes, she fixes her hair, and then she puts this perfume on so that she can look lovely, so that she's desirable for these people. But all of that just goes out the window and she lays everything out on him. She's like, you can have everything that I have, like my hair, I don't give a crap. I will wipe literally the crap off of your feet, like with my hair. Like this is, this is a sort of honor and value that this woman is coming up against. And so um, here, this is speculation, but here's what I was thinking about last night. Anybody ever wonder why it's always his feet in this situation? Like, because like so many, t- yeah, no, just me. All right, some of you, okay, great. Like literally, she cries so much on his feet. She dries his feet. She kisses his feet, and then she anoints his feet. It's all to do with the feet. Like what in the world? Um, like many times, like when you go see kings, they're like, you may kiss the royal hand. Like, I mean, it's not... It's not like, oh my gosh, let me anoint your head or let me like look into your eyes. Like, let me, like, it wasn't any of that. Like, she was fixated on his feet. And so, this is where it gets into uh, conjecture and just, this is, uh, could be a cool anecdote. But I was thinking about it. If she understood who Jesus was and she had a reverence for, um, for him, it could be implied that she has some sort of knowledge of the Torah, which is like the first five books of our Bible, which is like the, the manuscripts for Judaism, right? So it, it's assumed that she would have some understanding of the Torah. And so this is, where I'm, this is where my head goes. If she understands the Torah, then maybe she's familiar with some of the passages in Genesis where, let's just read it. And this is just what I think is so gnarly. Okay, the fall of man. Okay, great. So this is God talking to uh, Adam, the serpent, and Eve. So uh, let's talk about uh, verse 15. You don't have this, but it's all right. This is Genesis 3.15 if you want uh, to know this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, you being Satan, and between your seed and and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so other contexts say, you shall wound him on the, on the heel, but his heel will crush your head. And so with that sort of context in mind, I wonder if she's thinking, like, could these be the feet that are going to crush the head of my enemy, that have kept me bound and locked in this life that I don't feel like I can get out, that my choices have made a prison for me, 
and I have no way to get out. Like, could these be the feet that are gonna like look like refined bronze in a furnace? They don't know that yet. But could these be the feet that are gonna crush the head of the enemy that's kept me up? Which I think is just like, like I, I can't think of any other reason why she would be so fixated on, on the feet, you know? Like, why the feet? So anyways, this is what's so cool. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, come boldly into the throne of grace, okay? And then let's parallel that to Ephesians 4. I think it's 29 where it says, actually, let's just read it. Emily, where's Ephesians? It's in the New Testament. Where you at? Where you at? I almost had it. It's after Galatians? It's in the Bible. All right, so Ephesians 4.29. No, this isn't what I'm looking to do. It's not 429. Um, all right. Well, let's just, whatever. <laughs> That's not the right address. But where sin abounds, much more grace abounds. All right. Let's just talk about that. Where sin abounds, much more grace abounds. Uh, I don't know the exact address off the top of my head. Uh, I just remember that we talked about grace bombs and being like Ephesians 4.29, but that was a long time ago. It's still in our PCO, though. Romans. Huh? Romans 5.20. All right. You want to know how way off I was? A lot. But it's in there. All right, 520. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So here's what I think is cool. The table where Jesus is reclining at in this Pharisee's house has now become the throne of grace. Wherever he's abiding is now the throne of grace. And so this woman comes in boldly and humbly to the throne of grace. And now that grace has pushed back every ounce of sin in her life. And so it, it's this beautiful picture of, of uh, like that scripture in, in not only in context, but in action. When we talk about, oh, where sin abounds, much more grace abounds. Like, no, like literally this woman is eaten up with sin and shame. And as soon as she comes boldly into the throne of grace, it pushes back sin instantaneously. So he ends the dinner telling the woman, your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this may be the first time a man has not looked at her with disgust, disgrace, not heaped shame on her, uh, and maybe not even taking advantage of her at a party. This may be the first time in a long time where she's come into a party and left whole. It's the only time she's come to a party and left whole because this is the first time she's had an encounter with the person of Jesus and had access to the throne of grace. You know what I'm saying? 
So where she would normally leave uh, battered and broken, she's leaving whole, forgiven, and complete. So here's what we have. You ready? Over here. Say over here. Over here. All right. This will be our little token. You have the ability to choose to be a Pharisee, not just like a religious leader, a religious zealot. Um, you have the opportunity to be Simon every day of your life where you can see people having encounters with Jesus and you can think, wow, they don't deserve to do that. They haven't done as much as I have. Like maybe he memorized the first five books of our Bible, the first five books of the Torah. Like you have the ability to choose to be Simon or over here, you with me? You have the ability to be who? Simon. Linda. Linda. After she comes to the dinner, right? All right. That's important. That's imperative. You want to be Linda after dinner at 8 p.m. After dinner, okay? Um, but here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. Whether you are Linda after the dinner or before the dinner, Jesus sees no distinction. He just sees a person who's wholly going after his heart, who's just going to lay it all out. And we don't have time to get into it, um, but everything that she poured out on him was expensive, costly. Did you know that an alabaster jar or vial, the way that it's made, you can't even open it unless you break it. Like there's no like cap. The only way to get what's inside is to break it. And so she's literally like destroyed her like life savings and just wasted it on his feet. And not, I'm not saying like wasting as in like, well, you shouldn't have done it, but she like, excuse me, like she wasted it all. Like, and that's the same invitation for us is for us to waste it all. So, well, the context is waste it. No, waste it. Because there is an invitation to waste everything you have onto the feet of Jesus, not just use it. He doesn't want you to use it. He doesn't want you to utilize what you have because then you think what you did, what you used was enough. Maybe it's, it's my giftings that I used is why he's happy with me. But he's like, no, I want to lay it all down. I want to waste it. I want to give everything back to you. That's the invitation to waste it. He's not interested in performance but he is interested in everything that you have. And then from that point, you can leave whole, you can leave redeemed. Um, so sometimes it's messy and it's undignified, but here's a question. Everyone, eyes on me. I don't think any of us are in the uh, prostitution business, but some of us have taken other lovers apart from Jesus. When we say this thing of he is our bridegroom and we're the bride, like that's a, that is a selective invitation. That is, he is our one love. He is above him. There's no one else. And so while you may not be actively being a prostitute, we've turned our affections to other things, right? That have left us eaten up with shame, disgruntled, lacking, never enough, all of this stuff. And so that's why I'm saying 
it may get messy and it may look undignified when the throne of grace like gets a hold of you and you lay it all out. But there just has to come a point in your life, guys in the back, there has to be a point in your life when you say enough's enough. If you're not a guy in the back, you don't have to look back. They knew who I was talking to. When is enough enough? Right, you gotta make that decision. When is enough enough? And I'm not saying, that this, is, this is a point where um, uh, a manipulative person would be like, come on, no shame, come on up here if you've done, and we're not gonna do that. Raise your hand. <laughs> no, golly, there have been so many times. Look, there have been so many times being in the worship band, well, worship band, whatever, being on a worship team and traveling. I've never said that before in my life. The worship, the praise band. There have been so many times like traveling where we'll have like a guest speaker. And so, and we're, we all, and they said, every eye closed. But we all have our eyes open because we're trying to communicate and talk and like, hey, where are we going? Are we going to the four? Like, what's happening? Like, anyways, like, so we don't close our eyes. And it's like, all right, I see your hand. I see your hand. And there's no hand raised. <laughs> I'm just like, bro, who are you fooling? Just, just chill out. Like, just say, all right, no one? Cool. So, but I will give you the invitation uh, to ponder it. When will enough be enough? And I, I hope it... Um, and I say this phrase uh, very strategically. I hope it haunts you when you sleep. Um, that when will enough be enough? I hope that it keeps you up at night. And I hope the Holy Spirit arrests your heart. Uh, and at 3 a.m., the Holy Spirit can break in because you just laid your alabaster jar and you wiped his feet with your tears at 3 a.m. in your bedroom. Wherever it's at, uh, when you've got the invitation and when you hear... Uh, rhetorically speaking, if, when you hear that he's at dinner right next to you, I just ask that you'd go and grab your, your jar and go find him and then just waste it. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Illuminate Student Ministries. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Illuminate Knots.